Hey, good morning, Coastal Church. Pastor Sean here. I want to wish you a happy new year, happy 2024, and uh, so excited you are attending this Sunday morning. I want to introduce our series called Anchors. And, you know, I'm anticipating, and as I'm sure many of you are, uh, 2024 to be a turbulent year, a presidential election. We still have a couple wars going on around the globe, and that can be unsettling. But as a Christian, we have much to be settled on. And so this series, I want to focus on really three things. One, I want to encourage us to be eternally minded, that our anchors rest in the gospel, which rests in eternity. Number two, out of Ezekiel 37, I want us to be anchored in the word of God. God's word will give you life and hope and joy. And then finally, I want us to be anchored in the church. I want us to see the local church as the bride of Christ. I mean, think about the beauty of the bride of Christ. And I really believe in 2024, if we anchor on these three things, God will give us strength, hope, and joy as we journey through this year. Happy New Year, and welcome to the new series, Anchors. Good morning, church. Great to see you. Do me a favor, get your Bible out, turn with me to John chapter 14, and we're going to look at the first seven verses there. <clears throat> get your uh, note sheet out, take some notes. We're just a few weeks away from kind of relaunching our New Year's uh, small groups, and so we do sermon-based small groups. So this gets you in the habit of taking notes and getting you ready for small group. You remember more of the things that you write down. It's kind of a learning tool. And uh, while you're getting that out, if you don't have a Bible, there hopefully there's one in a chair in front of you. And if you don't own a Bible, man, we would love for you to take that one with you. Uh, man, and if you will take a copy of the Word of God and read it, uh, it will change you for sure. So we would love for that to be our gift to you. Um, so New Year, man, New Year. By the way, didn't uh, Christian Conway do a great job last week? For those of you who are here, incredible job. And uh, man, he just so you guys know, like that's part of the group of young men that we're pouring into in our pastoral training behind the scenes so that if God were to be gracious enough to give us another campus, we're raising up leaders to do that, and Christian's certainly one of those. So, uh, great communicator, godly young man, so we're really blessed to have him. He did a great job last week. I, uh, this morning is really um, about uh, how you're created, I guess, in a sense that you are all, it's kind of a Romans 1 introduction, like, like we're all created to be worshipers. Did you know that? Even if you're here this morning, you're investigating church, you're investigating Christ, uh, you're actually created to worship something. And you do worship something. All of us do. Everybody, even people that would say, I'm a Christian, or even people that would say they don't believe in God, they actually do believe in a God. Maybe not the true and living God, but there's something at the center of their being uh, that creates us and, and is in there that's got to be kind of the central focus of what we actually worship. And, and if we put the wrong thing in the center of our worship and who we are, the Bible actually calls this idolatry, right? That it's a false worship, it's a false God. And so all of us in this room, apart from Christ and regeneration and God making us new in Christ, we're all like what I call little worship factories. We're going to worship something, right? There's going to be something at the center of our being. And my wife made this, and you guys have been here a while, I've heard this story before, but my wife made me 
bluntly aware of this, probably about 10 years ago, my favorite NFL team was in the middle of just a heart-wrenching playoff game. You know, we're a week away from the NFL playoffs, and, and me and my son were watching this game, and it was a back-and-forth game, and, and at times we would take the lead, and there would be euphoria, and there's times that they would make a stupid play, and we would just be screaming, you know, kind of Christian obscenities at the TV, you know, kind of thing. And and at one point, we're screaming at the TV, both he and I, and we're losing our minds at what my team had just done. And my wife peeks her head in. She doesn't care about sports at all. She peeks her head into the room where we're watching this game. And she goes, this is idolatry, you know? And I'm like, you're not wrong, okay? And so, and so this year, my team has just been mediocre, which is like the worst thing ever, you know? And so, like, my wife, after a game, she'd be like, so did your team win? And I'd be like, yeah, and she's like, why do you look so disappointed? And I was like, well, that's what idols do. They leave you disappointed, right? And so, and we know that to be true, right? If, if you are worshiping anything but the true and living God, even at its peak, even when your idol wins, you still lose, right? And that's kind of how that thing goes. And, and I, so I want to just pause for a minute, and, and I, we're going to end by looking forward, but I want to look back, Right? Because here's what I have found in my life, and it's probably true in your life too, it's when things are difficult and when I'm squeezed, sometimes that gives me a moment of clarity and it, it lets me ask real questions about, man, what is really capturing my heart? Yes. Sometimes hard times are actually good for us. They, they help us to do some introspection that's serious-minded and important. And so let me ask you this. Look back, and I want you to write this down. Get your pen out. Write this down. Write it down on your hand up. What was the most disappointing thing that happened to you in 2023? Right? And surely, you know, I suspect for most of us, it's more than your football team losing a game. Right? There's some of you in this room. I know your story, man. 2023 was hard. And there were some unexpected turns. Right? We just sang a song, a really great song. Our, uh, I think it was the second song in our set this morning where we talked about the song reminds us that God is working in the shadows, right? And so when you go through a hard time, if you're still convinced that God is working in the shadows, that, that requires a, a, a system of worship. That requires a, man, what has captured my heart? And so in John chapter 14, uh, this, this passage that I'm going to we'll read here together, it's, it's actually set uh, in the context, and I'll go through the context in a moment, but it's said in the context of disappointment. The, uh, Jesus is, what he's about to say to his disciples, he's saying uh, to them when they're reeling in disappointment that all the things that they thought were going to happen weren't happening exactly as they thought they were going to happen. And so then Jesus says this after kind of disappointing them in John chapter 12 and John chapter 13. In John chapter 14, Jesus says this, check this out. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. One of the 12 Thomas, Thomas is probably one of my favorites. Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. 
If you had known me, you would have known the Father also. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. And so here's the first thing. Why do we often have a troubled heart is the question I'm asking. Point number one, why do we have a troubled heart? What is it that when our hearts get troubled, what is the cause of that? Because Jesus said in John 14, 1, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. Anybody here in 2023 have a couple moments of troubled hearts? Yeah, we all have, right? Like, so why are, why are our hearts troubled? Well, I want to give you some context. Jesus here had just got done. So he's, this is actually in John chapter 12 and 13. John pivots midway through the gospel towards really like the last week of the ministry of Christ. So this is after years of the disciples walking with Jesus. John, Jesus teaches in John 12 and 13 that he's indeed the Messiah, which they've all come to believe, but the Messiah is going to suffer and die. Now, these followers of Christ, they knew their Old Testament. They knew that the Messiah was coming to rule and to reign. Suffering and dying was not on the radar. In their minds, the Messiah was coming to throw off Roman rule and to give freedom to the Jewish nation. He's the Messiah, right? Then Jesus goes on to tell them in John chapter 13, that they're actually within the end of the week, they're going to deny that they knew him and scatter. I want you to think about that for a minute. I mean, you're here this morning. It's your new year, first Sunday of the new year. You could have done all kinds of things. You came to church. You're here because you probably have some inkling of believing in God. What if Jesus ponied up to you and said, hey, listen, by the end of the week, you're going to deny that you even know me? He'd be like, are you crazy? So why does Jesus then, what, what is it that was troubling the hearts of the disciples? Why did Jesus, after telling them this, say, let not your hearts be troubled? I want to give you a couple of reasons I think that they were troubled. Number one, letter A. I think they were dis, the disciples were disappointed in God. They were disappointed in Jesus. The disciples had an understanding that when the Messiah comes, everything gets set right. There's no, in their mind, there's no second advent. There's just one advent, right? Jesus comes, everything, gets, the Messiah comes, everything gets set right. Jesus had to teach them, no, there's this in-between time where the kingdom is going to expand like leaven in the hearts of men. People are going to get saved. And then the second advent. And so they're disappointed in God. Dying was not in the plan for them. You ever been disappointed with God? Sunday morning, nobody raised their hand, like, no, I never. Just you, Pastor Sean, right? Everybody, of course. Of course. You did something that God commanded, and it didn't go quite the way you thought. I got married. Because, ma why'd you start with that illustration? <laughs> All the young people who are single, like, I don't get it. What's the joke? Okay, so, like... No, I got married because that's what God said. God says marriage is a good thing. I got married. Man, it's been harder than I expected. I gave my life to Jesus in 2023, and I started following God, and suddenly, like, it got hard. 
I listened to Pastor Sean's sermon on tithing, and I started giving money, and then my car broke down. You ever had that happen? Well, you still got here this morning, so God provided somehow, okay, right? I gave up a particular sin that I've been wrestling with, and it just keeps coming back. Like, what's going on? And I really think this disappointment with God is usually we expect God like a, like a genie in a bottle to fix everything now. By the way, there's a, you know, we sang about God winning every battle, and He indeed does. It's just a matter of timing. Sometimes we want to speed up the calendar of God. We want to import eternity into now. They're disappointed with God. I think they'll be there. I think they're disappointed with themselves. I think the disciples have troubled hearts because they're disappointed in themselves. I mean, come on, Jesus. We saw you walk on water. We saw you feed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish. We saw you heal the blind. My goodness, Jesus, we saw you raise the dead. So I am ready to die with you if needs be because I know you're going to raise me back to life. Deny you? You got to be kidding. And Jesus is going, no, you're going to deny me. Disappointed in themselves. You ever been disappointed in yourself? Right? Right? By the way, this is part of the problem with the false god of the culture, the culture you live in. What, what, do they, what are they teaching our young people? Just fo- follow your heart. Live your truth. The problem is that what that's telling our kids is that they are at the center of their worship. And therefore, if that's the God, if you are what you worship, and then you let yourself down, you have nothing higher to turn to. It's a false, it's a false, false idol. It's a false worship. Now listen, you can follow your heart as long as it's following after the things of God, but if it's not, don't follow your heart. And the Bible actually says the heart, left unchecked, left unregenerate, is desperately wicked. Who can trust it? Right? We have to be careful with like following us because I have severely disappointed myself. I've been really disappointed on my own actions. Anybody else? I mean, I've been following Jesus for 40-some years, and I'm still like, I cannot believe I'm still struggling with this particular sin. Anybody? Yeah, like, man, what's going on? Disappointed myself. And I think ultimately, let her see, I think when we're, our hearts get troubled, we're actually really disappointed in the brokenness of this world, right? It's this world, and we know this to be true, but we forget it in the day-to-day. We know that this world is off kilter. We, we get this sense that it's not really the way it should be. And the reason it's not really the way it should be is God did create the world without sin and perfect, but then Adam and Eve sin, and He is our Father. We've inherited His sin. All of us are born into sin. And because of sin, all of the world is off kilter. And Romans 8 tells us, Paul says, that it's literally groaning and waiting for the second advent of Christ when it gets set right again. Everybody with me? And so until then, it's just like, man, and yes, as we 
come to Christ and as we live for the Lord, yes, it, it, it brings a little bit of heaven to earth. And yes, it does bring a little bit of righteousness and straightening that which is broken, but it's still off kilter till the return of Christ. And we know that, right? We, we go to work and we don't quite have the success that we think that our effort we're efforting, we're giving a lot of attention to our workplace, but we're not having the kind of success that we think we should have. Or a close relationship with a kid or a family member or a marriage, it gets fractured and you want it to be set right, but you're like, you can't even figure out why it's fractured. You're battling with anxiety and depression, and it's like you have these glimpses of hope, but then it comes rushing back like a tidal wave, and you're just wondering, like, when, when do I get relief from this? You're investing in a ministry. You're investing your time, talent, and treasure into a ministry, maybe even a ministry here at Coastal that you love, but it just doesn't seem to be moving the needle like you would hope. Has that ever happened to anybody? Man, disappointment. And it's because it's off kilter. In Genesis chapter 3, after Adam and Eve sin, God shows up and he, he gives judgment on the brokenness of sin. And he says to the woman in Genesis 3.16, I said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. We were in the back before the service this morning. Some of the guys were talking about some of their sports injuries. Yeah, I remember one time I tore a hammy and I broke a toe and they got done and I looked up and I said, well, all the women, all the moms in this room have given birth. So there's that. Okay. Um, part of the curse, your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. I don't know what all of that means, but I think it means like marriage isn't what it should be because of sin. Right? We, we have this desire for intimacy, and then sin comes in and makes it difficult. And to Adam, in verse 17, and to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and you've eaten of the tree which I commanded you that you shall not eat, cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to the dust you shall return. Happy New Year, everybody. Happy New Year. Right? But it's telling us, like, the life's off kilter, and we know it. Like, you work hard, and it doesn't quite produce as much as we, say, as we think that it should, and we forget that this world is broken, and it is not our home. And if, you, if that's the center of what you're anchoring to, you will be disappointed over and over and over. And in the midst of all of this, the disciples are disappointed with God and they're disappointed with themselves and they're probably disappointed that the world is broken. Jesus says in John 14, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God and believe also in me. And here's the deal. When you believe in God, it pivots your mindset. When you believe in God through Christ, it pivots your mindset to point number two. You become heavenly minded. Have you ever heard anybody say, they're so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good? You ever heard anybody say that? That's a horrible saying. The reason we're not doing more earthly good is we are not heavenly minded enough. 
when we hoard our goods and our time and our talent and our treasure, when we hoard all that, it's because we think this is all there is. When we're generous with our time, talent, and treasure, we understand, man, I'm storing up to a place where rust does not destroy and moth doesn't eat through it. I am storing up for something eternal. We're heavenly minded. Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled. And then in verse 2, John chapter 14, in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go and I prepare a place for you. And by the way, this probably means he's going to the cross. He's going to prepare the way for us to be in heaven forever. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. You know, John Lennon encouraged us in his song, Imagine. First song, first line of song, Imagine There's No... Only three John Lennon fans. Okay, the rest of you are like, we're in church. We can't even say that here. <laughs> you can set that to a pleasing melody if you want. It's still from the pit of hell. We are not to think, imagine there's no heaven. We are to be heavenly minded. We are to imagine and set the affections of our heart to a place where Jesus is taking us. And you ready for this? Heaven is not going to disappoint you ever. Isn't that cool? Heaven's not going to leave you wanting. The Christian does not fear death because we are united in Christ, to Christ in our faith. And those who are united to Christ, yes, we're united to him in his death, that he is a sufficient payment for sin, but the scripture says we're also united to him in his resurrection. Jesus is literally taking us home. This world is not your home. This world is a temporary assignment where we exalt the gospel message of Jesus Christ so that others can know how to repent of sin and be with their creator forever and ever. Amen. Hebrews chapter 13, I, I, I put this on the screen in the New Living Translation because I like the way the NLT says this. Check this out. Hebrews 13, 14 says, For this world is not our permanent home. Let me say that again. For this world is not our permanent home. We are looking forward to a home yet to come. Isn't that amazing? And so Jesus says, don't let your heart be troubled, but be heavenly minded. Think about eternity. And so how do we get to eternity? Number three, we have to place our hope in Jesus Christ. There's no other way to get to heaven but in Jesus Christ alone. Jesus makes an extraordinary claim in John chapter 14, verse 1. It's easy to gloss over it when I paint the picture of all the things that trouble our hearts. And then Jesus comes back and he says, Let not your heart be troubled. And then he does something very important. He ties this to the one that is the greatest thing that he can tie your heart to, to the creator that is eternal. And he begins to build out for us the understanding of the Trinity. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Jesus, letter A, is fully God. By the way, if you're here this morning and you decide to start the new year and you decide to start it by checking out a church, you're you're kind of thinking about, hey, maybe I wonder if this Christianity has any merit. 
Let me start with this. Jesus never claimed to be just a good teacher. If you're here this morning, you're like, I'm going to go to church because maybe Jesus is a good teacher. Jesus was some kind of good moral character, or maybe he was a good prophet. He claimed to be God in flesh. So either he is that, or he's a crazy man, but he's not a good moral teacher. Yes? He's like the dividing line for all of history. He either is who he says he is, he either did what he said he was going to do, or go do something else. I always say this, if Jesus isn't true and accurate, I'd be a hedonist. I'd just do whatever I wanted. But if Jesus is indeed the Son of God, set foot on the planet, overcoming the grave, then it literally pivots for me and changes everything. Jesus said, don't let your hearts be troubled. Why? Believe in God, believe also in me. I am God. And what did Jesus go on to say about himself? In John chapter 14, 6, Jesus said to him, as he's answering Thomas's question, Thomas says, I don't know the way. And Thomas, Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. A couple things. First of all, Jesus is the way. Here's what that means. If you don't know your direction in life, it's because you're trying to figure it out with the wrong thing at the center of your life. What you're worshiping is not pointing you in the right direction. Jesus needs to be at the center of your life so that you will know the way. Listen, the Bible doesn't teach to just have faith in faith. Right? We hear that all the time. I just have faith. I just have faith. You know, you can have faith in the wrong thing. Did you know that? No, Jesus says, yes, I want you to have faith, but I want you to have faith in me specifically. I am the way. By the way, Christian, if you're here this morning, you're a Christian, you're a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm going to push on you a little bit because this is uncomfortable in our culture. You cannot be a Christian and hold that all paths lead to God. The Bible doesn't teach that about our Savior Jesus. Jesus says, you want to get to know the Father, it's through me, period. If you're telling other people that, you're telling them a lie. It's not kind and loving to point someone in the wrong direction. Jesus says, I am the way. And the next two kind of come off this. If Jesus is the way, then he has to be, number two, he has to be the truth. Which, by the way, lets us know that truth is objective, How many, Amer- how many people live in America? I don't even know. Is it 350 million? Anybody know? How many? Th- th- did you just Google that? Or do you know that, like, that specifically? Like 336 and 343,523. Oh, wait, 24. Someone's just born. Okay, so 336 million. Okay. The culture is telling our kids to live their own truth. Live your, live your truth. What's your truth? Here's the problem with that. If there's 336 million people in America, then there's 336 million versions of the truth. And the book of Judges says, ends with, and everybody was running around doing what was right in their own eyes. That's live your own truth. And it leads to chaos. 
What did Jesus say about the truth in John chapter 8? He said, you will know the truth and the truth will do something for you. What will it do? It set you free, right? I think that implies that the opposite is also true. If you're not building your life on truth, then you're leading a life that's going to leave you in what? In bondage, right? And so how are you going to be set free? It's going to be in the person of Christ. You have to know Christ. Jesus, I am the way, he said. I am the truth, it's, and truth is knowable. It's not something we have to make up. I hear that a lot. Well, you can't really know the truth. Jesus said just the opposite. You can know me. I am the truth. Jesus, number three, said, I am the life. That means he's the direction for your life. John chapter 1, verse 4, Jesus, in the Gospel of John says, In him, in Christ, was life, and the life was the light of men. Jesus sustains us every day. He gives us life, right? In John chapter 8, Jesus gives us daily sustenance when he says, I am the bread of life, right? Probably most of you know the Lord's Prayer, right? In Matthew chapter 6, give us this day our daily what? Bread. I think a lot of times when I pray that, and I think it's true and right, like we pray that and we're thinking about how God, by His grace, gives us our daily food, to sustain us, but I think it's even more than that. There's a spiritual sustenance that comes only... How are you going to get through the day without Christ? Right? I, I'm the bread of life, Jesus said. And then we pray, give us this day our daily bread. What are we praying? I need you, Christ, because he's the life. John chapter 10, Jesus reminds us he's the abundant life. The thief comes in John 10, 10, only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. Your idol is not going to give you that. And your idol is definitely not going to give you eternal life. John chapter 11, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die." Yet shall he live, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And he's talking to a lady named Martha, and he looks at Martha and says, do you believe this? Let me ask you something. Jesus isn't asking you to have faith in faith. He's asking you to have faith in him. You want eternal life? It's in Christ. Do you believe this? That's a question that will shape your eternity. And so if we place our hope in Jesus, let us see Jesus is the only way to God. Jesus is the only way to God. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's only Christ who adequately deals with and pays for our sin. It's only Christ who embodies truth. It's only Christ who gives life abundant and eternal. It is only Christ gives us the way to our Creator. You can't say that you know God and reject Jesus Christ. These two things are mutually exclusive. If you say that you believe in God, but you reject Jesus as the only way to God, you're believing in a different God than the God of the Bible. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And point number four, I kind of already hit on this, but we'll just summarize and I'll close this thing up. I really think that a troubled world 
reveals the anchors of our hearts. A troubled world reveals the anchors of our hearts. A troubled world challenges what is really at the center of my being. You can anchor your heart and your life to the things of this world, but the things of this world are passing away. You can anchor your heart to stuff, and stuff breaks down. You can anchor your heart to relationships, and they will disappoint you. It is only Christ who is life and has the words of life. It is only Christ that can give your heart peace that passes understanding. Everything else will disappoint you. I, I'm gonna, I, I used this illustration on Friday. I got the, had the opportunity of teaching at the Coastal Homeschool Academy. It was awesome teaching the students. And I've used this illustration before. So some of you are going to say, you used that illustration before? I've used the illustration before, okay? But it's a great, it's a great illustration to um, ring in the new year, I think. When I was a kid, I don't know when I got this game. I was probably eight or nine years old. Probably got this as a Christmas gift. Um, little game called Drive You Nuts. How many of you kids, if you got this for Christmas, would be disappointed? Okay, so um, there was a day there was no such thing as electronics. How many of y'all old enough to remember those days, right? And you got gifts like this. Okay, so I got this game. It's called Drive You Nuts, and um, it's built on, a, it's the idea of a nut and a bolt, okay? So this would be like the nut of a bolt. And uh, the goal of the game, each of the little six-sided nuts have a number on them, one to six, Okay. And so the goal of the game is that every nut is matching up with a number correctly. So a one is touching a one, a two would be touching a two, a three would be touching a three. All the numbers would be lining up the same, okay? I've only solved this puzzle once in my whole life, all right? And I wish I had marked them so I knew exactly how they went. I didn't. I wasn't smart enough to do that. I celebrated, threw it in the air, and they all went everything. Okay, so... Um, but here's what I learned in the one time I've solved this puzzle. You have to get the right one in the middle. You start, if you get the wrong one in the middle, the puzzle is unsolvable. You have, to, you have to get the right one in the middle. And, and so what a lot of us do in hoping in this life, and by the way, the Bible gives us lots of good things, like family is a good thing, work's a good thing, finances, money is a good thing, it's all moral, it can be used for good or evil, you know. And there, the Bible gives us lots of good things, but what we tend to do is take some of the good things and misplace them. Man, it's all about family. And you put family here as an idol, and then all of a sudden your kids grow up, and maybe they don't like you so much, and you don't really know what to do with that. And you're like overly devastated. You work, 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 until work disappoints. And you don't know what to do with that. And so here's the deal, like we're starting a series called Anchors. You, you have to have the right anchor in the middle. It has to be anchored properly. And so until Christ is in the middle, and then Christ helps you order it, right? My family goes here, and that gets the appropriate spot, and my workplace gets here. By the way, you know what some people, some of you are in this room, you know what some of you are putting this room in the middle? Church. 
And I'm going to be, like, be really busy at church and like serve God. If it gets here, it's in the wrong place. Christ has to be here. Christ is the way. Christ is the truth. Christ is the life. And no one, no one comes to the Father. And no one comes to the Father except through Christ. So get your pen out. You ready? Let's just, like, let's say I just took off all the Sunday morning happiness this morning. We all took, all, took off our Jesus face this morning, and we all have on Sunday morning. Get your pen and paper out. And if we could just strip away your heart this morning, and for all of us, we could just see, like, what really, what really is right here? And write that down. What's really, I came in this morning, actually, this is, Man, I want it to be Christ, but if I'm being honest, man, it was health, family, work, bitterness, anger. And if anything but Christ is there, you're going to have a troubled heart. God help you if you've put politics here in 2024. God help you, okay? <laughs> so I want to finish with this because maybe someone's here this morning. You're like, you know what, Pastor Sean? Like, man, I am in the bondage of doing things my own way, and I, I want to know the freedom of Christ. So coastal, we call this gospel, which means good news. We sang some great songs this morning about holiness. I love those songs because they remind us of the character of the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is not a God of our making, and He's not a God to be trifled with. He is holy, and that means He's without sin. And what we deserve because of our rebellion against Him is His punishment. But God is also kind, and He's patient, and He's merciful, and He's loving, He's gracious. And so he did something extraordinary. He sent his one and only son, Jesus. That's why Jesus said, if you've seen the Father, you've seen me. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. We're one. Christ took on flesh, and then he died on a cross. And it would be just a martyr's death, except on the cross, God poured out his hatred for your sin and my sin on Christ so that we don't have to bear his holy wrath. Christ bore it for us. And then they laid his lifeless body in a grave, and three days later, this is pretty amazing. And if it's true, it changes everything. Three days later, he stepped out of his own grave, authenticating his claims as, I am the only way to God. And when we turn from our sin, the Bible word for that is repent. We turn from our sin and we believe that Jesus, we have faith in Jesus. He's God's rescue plan for us. The perfect works of Christ get credited to your spiritual bank account by grace through faith. And so that now, in the presence of God, He sees you as perfect in Christ. And therefore, Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the life. Nobody comes to God except through Him. And so let's do this. Let's pray. Okay, I want to bow your head. Maybe that's you this morning. You're like, you know what? I want to, I want to start a relationship with God. I want to start it today, the new year. 
God's stirring in you right now. I praise God for that. I'm going to pray just a simple prayer. It's like not magic. It's just you doing business with God Almighty. Heavenly Father, doing it my own way has left me a mess. I don't want to be a mess anymore. So it's best to understand today, I turn from doing things my way. I believe that Jesus died for my sins, bodily rose from the grave. Is the only way to God. I receive him. Change me, God, from the inside out so that I can reprioritize my life the way you've told me to, God. You're my anchor. And I'm now living not for the things of the world, but man, I'm living for the things of eternity. Transform me from the inside out. Lord, for the Christian that's here this morning, and this is me, God, I can get here, God. We just, we get, the things of the world can get us all out of position. And so for the Christians here this morning, just said, you know, I just need to reposition today. Man, I've let some other things crowd in and it's troubling my heart. And I realize, man, Christ is not the center. Christ has got me. Christ is working in the shadows. Christ is taking me home. He hasn't forgotten me in the midst of trouble. And I want to reposition this morning. I want Christ to be in the center. Start this new year out pursuing Christ wholeheartedly. I start that today, fresh and anew. God, thank you that you're patient with us. Thank you you give us new opportunities, new every morning. We thank you for your grace and your mercy and your kindness to us. And it's in Jesus' most precious name I pray. Amen.